Just before we get into this one, I just want to remind you guys that the Football Index podcast is supported by footballindextrader.co.uk, the best site for in-depth scouting and trading strategy. The members area has recently celebrated its first birthday and in a February survey, members gave the site 4.7 stars out of 5 for overall satisfaction. Not too bad that. 94% of members agreed the subscription paid for itself with 38% saying that they made more than the sub and 49.5% making a lot more. It's good to see that a year on from launch, the members are happy and the site is standing the test of time. As an exclusive offer for podcast listeners, you can tr- give the site a try with a 25% discount on your first month with the code FIG25. So that's FIG25 over on footballindextrader.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast, episode 125. I'm joined by two debutants who have been booked for the podcast appearance for a while now. So first up, FI Philosopher. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, very good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Tell us a little bit about your Football Index journey and why you're named FI Philosopher. Okay, yeah, great. So I've been on probably, what, about six months now? Maybe just a little bit longer so I kind of first joined, I'm a Forest fan, so I joined after they got the shirt sponsor. Ah, um, see, it's working. It's, it's definitely working. So I'd had a little look at it around probably three or four years ago when it was kind of really new, but never really got involved at that point. And then when it came back around, I thought I'd have a little look into a bit more detail. And yeah, since then, I kind of put, you know, 10, 20 quid in, something very small, got on a couple of players and thought, let's see how this goes. Watched probably about a month and a half with just just that in. Yeah, and really got on board since then. Slowly grown, still quite a small portfolio, but but really enjoyed it. Would that be your kind of advice for new traders at the moment? Because that's often mine, yeah, just buy a few players and absolutely. just I think kind of watch the market. It's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think it is quite a complex product. I think that's the best way. You, you know, absolutely you want to get acclimatized with the rules, but I think you can get too in-depth too quickly. So I'd probably say just, you know, get on a couple of players that you like and really spend the time. I know it's kind of... You want that urgency, you want to kind of get in while it's hot, but I'd definitely say, you know, I think a month or maybe two is the right time frame just to see what moves and when, you know, go through one or two trends and, and see how it's moving. Yeah, awesome. Some great advice there. And sorry, I was in, I interrupted you there before you were going to probably drop some drop some fire on why you're called philosopher. That's the interesting one, really. I've, I've seen a couple of the questions asking me a, a lot of philosophy stuff. So the name really actually is kind of related to your podcast. So the only reason I was called FI Philosopher is because I was juggling between a philosophy podcast that I was listening to at the time and, and your podcast. So not actually a really deep philosophy background. I'm actually from an economics background. So uh-huh, okay, can drop a little bit of philosophy knowledge, but, but not a lot. So. <laughs> so I'm claiming that one as well. Yeah, you can claim that one as well. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. We're also joined by FI Lambings. I often say Lamblings, which I've been told is incorrect because obviously this is his actual Twitter handle. And we used to work in the same building together, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I said I was in there for about three years. I think I remember you guys moving in next door. We were just talking about playing football against each other and my head of sales and seeing you guy at your face getting in a bit of handbags. Yeah, yeah, it was an intense game. I remember that. I think that's the worst match of football I've ever been involved in. It was on a really wet, windy 
evening, midweek. It was like honestly like blustering winds and it was on a 3G like sand pitch. It was horrible. Lo and behold, you're on the pod now. Exactly. All good things happened from a horrible <laughs> game of football followed by a couple of drinks afterwards. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your football index journey? Because you've been on for, for a little while now, haven't you? Yeah, so I actually joined in January 2019 during the Tri-Jan. It was my girlfriend that introduced me to it in the back end of 2017. I mean, I've got an economics degree and I've always been a relatively successful gambler. So she pointed it out to me. I had a look. All I could see was media, so I didn't really understand it completely. But then kind of followed it a little bit throughout 2018. And then Tri-Jan really got me in. Thought I'd play around with the £500 risk-free. And it's kind of been onwards and upwards since there so completely regret not getting it in when my girlfriend told me to but I'll never tell her that because it would be another thing that she's right about. <laughs> Fair enough you don't want to do that do you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about your trading strategy I suppose? So I kind of mixed the match between a load so I mean the first thing I did was basically what I see a lot of the advice is is buy a load of players you like and then understand why they go up and down and then I've kind of moved through playing around with media um, when that was quite valuable and it was buy Pogba, get dividends, let that come through and just reinvest it in Pogba. And then obviously that kind of changed a little bit and I understood more and more about PB and how that works, got more interested in that. And then I think as time's gone on, I kind of dedicate different parts of my portfolio to different pieces. So I've got a bit dedicated to youth, which is kind of my my three-year bet, so to speak, of under 21s getting regular minutes hopefully see them rise and put in some good performances but fixture trading is where i find the most funds i try and pick out teams with decent fixtures where they're more likely to give out pb i think you had k brown on the podcast um quite a few episodes Mm. back and he's done a lot of work around kind of the, the top teams win dividends very often so i kind of use that as the basis and then have seen actually when good teams play bad teams they win dividends so if you can pick out good players who are likely to win PB, then that kind of forms the basis of my strategy. Yeah, interesting, interesting stuff there. I think the fixture trading, those kind of short to medium term trades can be very successful and very profitable. I mean, speaking of Kay Brown, he's just started his own uh, YouTube channel, hasn't he? So go check it out if you guys are looking for some more YouTube content, bored of my face, bored of my voice. Sorry, I haven't posted in the last couple of weeks. Been super busy and uh, a bit run down, ill with a cold or virus. I don't want to say the C word just yet, but um, we've got some miscellaneous questions here before we we get into some proper in the weeds football index stuff. FI headhunter, which came first, the ram or the lamb? So something that I found really interesting, having a little look, is a young male sheep is called a ram lamb. So uh, I. I like okay. to think it was the Ram Lamb. Ah, uh, all right. Weaseled yourself out of that one. Fair play. I don't know. Let's get philosophical and say it's a continuous circle. <laughs> <laughs> Robbo has got a question here. How long does the Bruno train last? Pretty much as long as he keeps winning dividends, surely. I mean, I tweeted out that I jumped off at 620, which was a big mistake from me. But um, I think there's a lot of people out there still holding and while he's got such a high base and adding goals to that why would you you jump off now I think Pogba coming back will be interesting whether he adds to his dividend tally through better performances or whether he takes away just because he's obviously a competition in there but if not why I mean their fixtures are very easy after the silly game so how how long can it last I think that's it 
before the summer when perhaps when the games stop and summer transfers build back up, we could see a bit of something then. But I suppose until then, it's, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's, you know, Man United have finally got a player that's, you know, it's dual threat for them on PB and MB. I can't see anything changing significantly before then unless the performances really drop off. Yeah, I remember having a, I think the first ever Figcast Extra with with Panda. I kind of talked about his precarious fixtures. And honestly, I don't think anyone anticipated him settling in as well as he has from a footballing perspective. And his argument was actually that those more difficult fixtures actually played into his favour because like, even if he dropped like a six and a half out of 10, you could then say, oh, well, it was Everton away. Like they've only lost one game under Ancelotti or whatever, you know, there would be these, I guess, contingencies. Whereas if you've got Watford, West Ham and a couple of others of those kind of teams at home and away and he doesn't really perform, then I guess the price pressure is, is a lot greater, isn't it? It's going to be interesting to see because I think, you know, his, his best chance to win PB really is going to be those games where United have struggled actually, where they've actually had more of the ball against the lower half teams. So I think I think what we'll probably see is him clearing up quite a lot of dividends on the PB side where they've, you know, struggled in those games against lower half teams and he's the one that can actually either pick out that pass or break through and score a goal. I don't think United are going to change much in terms of their approach against the top teams where they're, they're sitting in and going on the counter. And I think that will make it a bit more difficult for him to win PB in those high-profile games. But like you say, whether that affects his price a lot at all, I can't imagine that it will. They looked a little bit different with that 4-1-2-1-2, didn't they? And they did a little bit more counter-attacking in the second half, but I definitely know what you mean. Are you both surprised by how surprised a lot of the FI community have been by the rise? I am aware that I did rhyme there a lot, but... I, I mean, <laughs> one thing that surprised me is how much money went into him. And like, you get the... I don't think we've seen a big rise of that kind of magnitude at the top end in quite a while. Obviously, we've seen Sancho rise over kind of the last year or so and there's been peaks in that but for a transfer to happen where you would expect a lot of people would get off it's a done deal and then he just absolutely rock it with he's kind of the perfect storm the media's been all over him as you'd imagine with a, a man united but that train didn't slow down at all and then taking penalties perfect storm winning pb perfect again obviously coming close in the europa league and then scoring another goal at Everton, it's kind of all aligned for him. So when you kind of think it through like that, it makes sense that he would rise so high and that he should be one of the highest price players on the platform. Yeah, that's it as well. I didn't get involved in, in Bruno at all. And I, the reason was is so often you see, you know, players come in and take six months to settle from foreign leagues. And I think a lot of the index were expecting that. So when within, you know, the first three or four games, they're seeing him record certain scores and and seeing actually that the MB is staying there because I think there was a bit of a worry that once the transfer was done would the MB go back onto Pogba and whether he's going to leave or would he really be that magnet and I think once people realise that actually the in-game performances seem to be there within the first few games and that the MB was still coming there was quite a strong reaction to that you can see why. I wonder if he'd come in the January after Salah had come that summer and done so well, whether or not there would have been that more promise in terms of the attitude that traders had towards the transfer in terms of, 
oh, is he going to do a Salah? Because not that many people talk about that anymore. Like I think about a year ago on the pod, we'd be like, okay, well, you know, everyone's looking for that next Salah in terms of who's going to do really well on the index and win a load of media buzz, potentially performance buzz as well. Now it's more like who's going to be the next Sancho. But it interests me to think like if, you know, the Dombele's, the, the Pepe's, the Pulisic's had come in and gone on crazy great runs or been integral to their teams and some have done better than others in that category, then I wonder if that sentiment would have been stronger for Bruno, even though there was quite a lot of hope, I suppose. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, you know, I've only been on six months. And I think for me, there's I've seen quite few instances post a transfer that's been hyped up quite a lot where a player's price continues to rise. I think Haaland's, you know, the obvious one. He obviously took a bit of a dip when he did that. But post when he's been able to put in those performances, he's seen the rise. Actually quite a lot, especially of the summer transfers that, you know, were quite big news, actually kind of slowly declined post that from what I've seen. So it's interesting that we're kind of getting it you know, a few now that are really, you know, hitting their stride straight away and are getting that that boost again on top. Yeah, do you think that might feed into like the next transfer window as well? Because like you say with Summer, uh, using, I guess, Maguire as the example, like he was hyped up quite a lot as the Virgil van Dijk type person and we didn't really see that. And then maybe for this January, people were trying to do that buy the myth, sell the fact type thing where you buy for the transfer and then you sell, they're probably going to tail off. That's what everyone expects. And maybe this is re reinstalled some faith that actually new signings can have that type of impact on someone and like we've seen it before like you say with Sala that new signings can actually have a great impact and maybe this is a sign of things to come that actually you can use the logic there of when people do transfer over and they seem a good fit you don't need to wait for a good performance to actually be like actually this guy is like I mean Bruno seems like an obvious fit he's a they were crying out for a, a cam who can score goals and he's been doing that in Portugal for for ages. If he can replicate that form at United, there's a good chance that he was going to rise and maybe it was just a lot of people were, were scared of that. I think it'll be interesting to see how that goes on in the summer because obviously this January was impacted by, you know, the dividends that were on offer in terms of the transfer. So I think that probably as well, whether they repeat that again in the summer might depend on whether people are chasing literally the transfer. I know it's not a lot, but I think it's still kind of put people in that mindset of, chasing that transfer and if they've got the idea again that it might happen in the summer whether it does or not I'm not sure but if they've got that idea then I think that might depend a lot on whether people are you know just looking for that transfer news or whether they're looking to hold after in terms of what makes sense there that's a good point actually I didn't even think about the transfer dividend there but it's definitely something to factor in but I'm aware we're already 15 minutes in we haven't got into any questions yet good question here from F.I. Lewin would Football Index be better or worse as a platform if Twitter didn't exist? Worse in my opinion I think um, Twitter gets a lot of bad prep just because it gives people pumping and dumping a platform but people forget about all the good that's done there there's so many good accounts to provide so much data forums for discussion throughout there that actually there's a lot of decent users on Twitter. It's, it's like when you think of football fans, it's the 2% that ruin it and make football fans look like idiots when as a matter of fact, most of them are decent kind of supporting the team and, and go from there. So actually, I think a lot of information is shared on Twitter. There's a lot of decent discussion. It's just the bad makes all the noise. You know, football Index has got a lot to thank for its Twitter community. I think about when I joined, one of the first places I kind of looked for feedback, advice, that sort of thing was on Twitter. And as soon as you're on there, 
you know, obviously, like you said, there is definitely some craziness on there, no doubt about it. But actually, what else is on there is a lot of good community members who really want to push the product, are willing to have more than enough time. You know, there's content creators like yourself, like, you know, a number of people that are either providing data sources or all sorts of things. So I think without them, the growth that we've seen just wouldn't have been possible. Yeah, I think in the modern day, trying to expand a digital-only company without like a really strong, vibrant and, you know, strong-willed community is, is quite tough. I mean, you look at a load of brands that have come to prominence in the last 10 years using the internet and using that community network effect it is really powerful. And I think it's something Football Index have done really well. And I think you're right. There are going to be always people in any kind of like, as you said, even football supporters, there are going to be the minority that kind of ruin it. And I think that is the case on Twitter as well. There's like people who seem to want to constantly put down the platform, constantly spout negativity without any offerings or semblings of constructive criticism. There are people who are looking to fleece people out of money, but overall it is good. And we are seeing more and more good Twitter accounts join more recently in the last like six to 12 months. So speaking of those accounts, FI Gardener's got a question here for all of us. If you recommend the best Twitter FI accounts to follow for new users, who would be your top five best accounts? So for me, I think you want to avoid most people that throw players out there just because let people with new accounts figure out how the market works before they start being able to interpret that. So I actually went for two traders with two completely different styles to show that there's lots of different ways you can make money and that'd be Panda and Big Don. And then again, a big account to show that you can, obviously there's lots of investment in there. So EJ, but also a small account, I thought would be quite a useful one to show that actually you don't need loads of money to make money and enjoy the product. So for this FI percent, someone I reached out to recently had a chat to, I think it's really interesting. He's only deposited £25 and he's up to, I think, 45 at the moment. But it's really interesting to see how that other side of the coin works for someone that hasn't invested loads. He's actually really enjoying the product. And then my final one, I've already mentioned K Brown. So I'd go for um, Moz, who provides the spreadsheets yeah. for fixtures, which I think is a, such a valuable source. Pretty strong list there. I'll try not to, to overlap. So I think for me, data guys are really, really strong. And there's a number of them. haven't got a list here, so I'm going to scroll through my timeline and try and find. If anyone that comes to mind of the data guys fig and you want to shout them out. Should I go for my five while you figure yours out? You go for your five, yeah. Let me go for my five. I'm just scrolling through my TL as well. I think one for me that I really like is Iceberg. And the reason being is I think what he's done is actually allow PB scoring to become a lot more inclusive in, in terms of understanding it. Because a lot of people are like, oh, how did that happen? How did this happen? Like, I'm kind of struggling to kind of piece those things together. And his kind of infographics of how people actually get those scores is, is really good. I think you mentioned Kay Brown there. Super good guy as well. Just started a bit more getting into the video side of his content as well. I think he's a really good follow. I'm going to shout uh, Sigmund Freund as well. I think we were talking about him before we, we jumped on. Super smart guy at Freund's underscore mullet. I think he's super smart got some really good opinions on the index and just generally like quite positive but also rational which I quite like I really like Lee Butler as well fi underscore Lee B I think he's a really good account to try and follow 
I mean, he's got a massive portfolio, but in terms of his trading style, it's quite unique in terms of going for like up and down the index in terms of player prices. Uh, and then we've got time for one more. One more. I'll go for Buzzing Paul as well. Quite like him. He's been on the pod for a lot of times and he's always got some good opinions, data backed. And I think if you're a new user, just trying to follow as many people as you can. And then the ones that you don't like, just unfollow them. <laughs> and the ones that you do like, try and interact with them a bit more. Yeah, totally agree. I've got my list together, although... You've got yours. I've done enough stalling for you. You've put me on the spot, but I've done it. You've done enough stalling for me. Although, you know, you've taken a few of my big ones, but that's okay. So Sam F is a really, really good one. Obviously on the Monster Pod with Sigmund. So both of those two, absolutely. There's Tactical FI Nick. Did you mention him? Mm, no, I didn't, but that's a great shout. So that's a really good one. So really deep diving into a few different aspects, especially on tactics. That's been really, really interesting to see recently. PB Man's always a good one. You know, I think he is fairly rational. Can have disagreements, but, you know, can't we all? Another one, a slightly smaller account, is FI Analyst. So he has had some really interesting data insights stuff. So yeah, I think that's... That's mine. Well, before we get into uh, moving on from the uh, miscellaneous part of the show, just wanted to let you guys know that this podcast is sponsored by Index Gain. If you guys don't know what they are, they are a third-party data provider for Football Index. They've got loads of amazing stats on there. And if you're interested, you can head over to indexgain.co.uk and you can use the code FIG2020 for five quid off your first month. And if you go for their semi-annual plan, so six months, you get one month free and then another five pounds off on top of that with the FIG2020 code. I don't know if either of you boys use Index Gain. I can't imagine being on FI without it. I think even as a guy with a you know quite a small portfolio, you know, you kind of weigh up the cost against it. But I've made that back, you know, and more easily. And just, you know, having that data there and then the community there as well, which to be honest, I don't tap into the Slack community too much, but just in terms of as a data source, I think it's amazing. Yeah, use it a lot. It's absolutely incredible resource to use. I was actually because obviously they've got the Slack community and there's any anyone who can use the, the free channels and then there's premium channels as well. But I was saying one of the free channels, like my first trade using their actual premium data paid for the whole service for several years. So couldn't recommend it enough. Like it it just gives you such a such an edge over a lot of other market users, but also the amount you learn about how, how things work is incredible for it. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I think you guys did my job better than me there uh, in terms of plugging the product. So fair play. Thank you. We've got a monster question here from EJ that got probably more likes than any of my podcasters has, has ever got. So fair play for making him making me feel small in that regard, EJ. Uh, would you like to see a formal timeline laid out by FI for their various initiatives for the rest of 2020? I want more clarity to help my decision making. And he says, Opta positions, PB and MB matrix, euros, Super match day dividends, transfer dividends, NASDAQ, order books, a dividend review, Germany and Spade expansioned, and are they going to be pulled or not? It says, can you discuss why FI don't nip things in the bud as rumours, agendas can take a life of their own, such as a PB matrix review being factored into many people's trading with crossing just because a few people started speculating about it being changed? This uncertainty stops me from investing how I would like. FI could easily rectify that. And he says, annoying, full stop. What are your thoughts on this, gents? Well, the question, so much to it, I guess. So I guess in terms of the, the roadmap, I'm thinking that a lot of the likes was because people 
Um, definitely want to see a roadmap, but I mean, it would help all our trading. But I'm actually in a different kind of, um, I guess, pot to those people where I only think there's certain things that you can roadmap. So stuff about dividend reviews, euros, NASDAQ, I think they have, I mean, euros, they've said April, dividend review, end of the season, although they haven't clarified exactly what that will be, which does mean we'll speculate. But I mean, I think actually they can't completely clarify what that's going to be at this moment because they probably still need more information about what that's going to include in terms of how it's infecting trading and stuff. NASDAQ and order books I see coming kind of hand in hand and that's probably out of their control a bit. It's probably looking at as soon as possible for them and they're waiting on dependencies from NASDAQ. And then for me, in terms of like super match day points and transfer dividends, so in my day job, I work in kind of the field of experimentation. So we run product experiments and online experiments for kind of a, a vast range of companies. And there's so much benefit to running trials and experiments in terms of how quickly you will grow as a company and how successful you'll be. And for me, I'm what I'm hoping is stuff like super match day points and transfer dividends are experiments and they're seeing what the impact of those will be on trading so they can learn quickly and then release kind of beneficial stuff with a lot of data behind. I have a theory that that's why transfer dividends were released halfway through the transfer window so that they can see pre and post and see actually what impact does that have? Is it profitable for them? Does it actually impact trading? Same as super match day points, like they re- release that for a month period and they can see, okay, does it impact trading? Does it stimulate trading or are we just handing away money? And then they can go away and refine it and release something that's actually beneficial to the traders. What I think they could do better is kind of not, they can't obviously publish the results, but just let us know, okay, transfer dividends. I mean, by now they must know what impact they've had so they can say whether they're permanent or not. Super match day, they're probably still compiling the data, but I think it's quite obvious that the community feedback that it didn't really stimulate trading that much. So they can say, okay, we're going to scrap these and reinvest that money somewhere else. And I think a lot of us would be happy with that from there. And I mean, their aim is obviously to stimulate trading because that's how they're going to make money through the commissions. So they can then refine that to make it simpler and make it so they can stimulate trading. And I mean, I have a few ideas on what they can replace it with, but hopefully they can they can kind of go from there and take take the learnings. So I mean, that's what I'm hoping they can do. And you can't let people know that things are an experiment or it will change the result and introduce kind of the biases from there. And you've kind of just got to let them get on with it. And also because they don't know the results and how it's going to impact things, you can't roadmap for that. So they can't release it like a formal roadmap for there. But I mean, that's like for some of the things I actually think credit where credit's due, they've been quite open with the fact that euros will be in April, um, div review, end of the season. NASDAQ, they're hoping for kind of end as soon as possible, beginning of next season, but that's probably out of their hands. Opta position changes, I've said nothing. So I presume that's right now that's not on their roadmap, but it probably should be. But I mean, that's where, where my head is at with it. I think for me, I, I see where the, where the question is coming from and the frustration with not having a timeline. I think more important for me at this point is for them not to set a deadline that they might not meet. I think that for me would be the biggest risk is ultimately as a smaller company now, they've laid out these ideas that they want to fulfill. Actually, I think if you're talking about a company that had existed for 20, 30 years, we probably wouldn't even know about these things because they'd still be going on in the background and they wouldn't announce them until they were much closer to ready to go. But with it still being quite a new company, they're trying to 
keep the excitement. They're announcing these things as they come along. But ultimately, in the internal workings, a, they're not always going to meet the deadlines that they want to meet. And I think for me, I'd much rather that they're a little bit more quiet on these things as opposed to with, for example, the NASDAQ and the order books. I wouldn't want them to set a timeline and say they're definitely going to be here before the start of next season and then not hit that. But philosopher, could they tell us how the books are going to work? I think for me, I'm looking at EJ's question there and I think the lack of clarity on how they're going to work is more important than when they're going to come in. Do you know what I mean? They can tell us how they're going to work if they're finalised on how they're going to work. If they aren't at the point where they've, they've done all the testing that they're happy with the process of how it's going to work, what they have done so far is they've you know, given us a few images and things like that in terms of what they want them to look like. So yeah, I can see from that point, they can probably tell us a bit more. But the last thing I want from, from Football Index is them to tell us more things which are then changed or incorrect or the deadline changes. And I think for me, that's the more important for them thing at the moment is not to be continuously setting deadlines and breaking them or saying that things are going to happen and then they don't. Yeah, I do look down at that list though and I think that why has there not been more clarity given on some of those things? I get the super match day dividends, that's only just gone by, so you can cut them some slack there. But transfer dividends, it's been a month. You probably should have been able to tell whether or not that was a success. Euros, I really do think that whether or not, I, I think they should have said what their plans were by now. The Euros is definitely one where I think they, they could give us more. That's a fixed line in the sand that they've known for a while and that they, they could have definitely done more with that. PB matrix again, like if they don't have any plans to tweak it, and I don't think they do, they've never mentioned it. This is one of those Chinese whispers I think that's happened throughout the FI community. They should just say, like, there's no, you know, even if you think that 98% of users know that there's none, it would help to actually say that is, there isn't going to be one. Also, again, dividend review. Why not just put a set a date when that's going to happen? Because you can't just, like, they've said it's going to happen and then they've just not said anything about it for like four months since. It just seems a bit strange to me. Then the question would be, would that cause some sort of stagnation? Would people hold cash balances waiting for that moment where they know that a div review is coming until that point? That would be my question as to, if you knew a date... I think you'd be holding a cash balance for that. Maybe. Whether people are doing that anyway because the, because of the uncertainty is, would be a fair counterpoint. If it's a dividend review and there's no change in the matrix for, of MB and PB, then how much benefit would having a cash balance give you? I think when we saw the last dividend review, there was quite a change in people's in people's strategy. And we kind of saw that in the market. So, you know, those you know, initial PB players rose significantly more than, than some of the other areas of the market. So I think generally people see these marquee events as opportunities to get ahead of mm-hmm. other traders. And I think generally people like to have cash balances in those instances. Yeah, I, I kind of take that. But I think that if you look at getting bigger and more experienced traders on this platform and the kind of professionalization of the platform as a whole that FI are trying to go after, then I don't think that there's going to be many people who are who are willing to chuck, you know, 100, 200, 500k into this thing if there's no kind of long-term outlook and understanding of when these things happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think we've talked a lot about this on this podcast, like where 
people want these things to be airtight and it's for good reason. And I think EJ actually tweeted yesterday being like, oh, this thing's already on rockets when all these things aren't that kind of airtight. Imagine what it's going to be like when they do become airtight. And I do think that slowly, one by one, some of these things need to be sussed out. And I do think, for example, like the Germany-Spain expansion, like if you don't know whether or not it's going to be pulled then I don't think there's any point in actually saying that it's going to happen, if that makes sense. Like I just, some of those bits of comms have kind of confused me. I do take your point though, Lambings on the, on the Div Review. They might be fearful of that, but I do think they just, I think the uncertainty and not having a line in the sand is more detrimental than having one in the sand, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I do agree. I think with the Germany and Spain thing, especially like if it's not pulled, there's no point because I mean, you're going to have people with, Spanish addresses or finding Spanish addresses trying to play get in first like you have seen here but also it's to start all over again I think you've mentioned it as well on a before to start over again without it being pulled probably isn't the right move there I doubt they would offer prices like they did right at the start it wouldn't make any sense yeah that'd be a strange position for them to take wouldn't it yeah, I suppose that's probably one of them where you could question whether they've spoken about that too early so whether they should have said anything about the the expansion at a point where they didn't have things like that finalised or willing to speak about them, maybe they've, you know, in excitement told the community too early when actually they don't have the amount of information that people are happy with in terms of, you know, when it's going to be, what it's going to look like. I can definitely see your point, and especially that's probably the difference between the amount of money that you have in the platform. Like you say, if you're looking to attract big investors and, you know, guys who have really big portfolios they're looking for that certainty and they're looking for that timeline yeah because at the end of the day the three of us have sat here for you know 10-15 minutes now and we've got slightly differing opinions i'd say by the odd 10-15 percent but overall all of us want more clarity and communication from football index and i do see ej's question as a as an extreme and i think he's purposefully pushed that question in that way and delivered it in that way to kind of try and show that there is a lack of clarity in a lot of different elements of Football Index. But overall, I think there are very few traders out there who are just like, yeah, I think they're as clear as black and white as it should be and could be. It's the length of the list that speaks volumes, isn't it? You know, we can we can argue and dispute over one or two of the points of whether they should talk about it. But because of the length of the list, there's definitely some things that they should have done about at least some of it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a good ending point for this question. But thank you, EJ. A nice big question to, to get our teeth stuck into. Uh, we've got a few coronavirus related questions next. It was about time until they started cropping up, right? So I'll read them all out and we'll just get into it. Stu Reed, will coronavirus have a, an effect on FI just like it has on the stock and shares market? Look at Italy calling golf games, for example. And then Jay McBride, FI trader, says, ask Aristotle to philosophize the impact coronavirus will have on the market. Should all major sporting events be cancelled? And then Joe Felix says, with the whole coronavirus situation, will we see the FI market affected as much as the FTSE has? Seems silly to talk about, but the Napoli attendance against Barcelona was particularly alarming. So uh, what do you guys think of this current, I guess, climate that we're in? Well, if it has an effect on football, it will impact FI in general. Games get called off, gold days get moved down to silvers, and then FI pay out on gold anyway, which is great. The fallback of FI is that they have media go back on. Worst case scenario, 
all games are off and we start speculating about transfers right now. I don't think we're going to see 7-8% drops in the footy for kind of comparing it to the, the footsie there, but it will have, a, have an impact there. We all trade through January when there's little games from there. We all enjoy it, but we are all looking forward to football. And I think kind of the president's been set where they're playing games behind closed doors now. So I, I don't think we'll see that much football called off. Italy have decreed, haven't they, today or recently that it's going to be until the 4th of April that games are going to be played indoors. Yeah, which is absolutely fuming for me because I'm also a rugby fan. I was meant to be going to Italy for oh, the England mate. game. <laughs> I saw I saw something really funny, actually. I'll, I'll read it now because it, it properly cracked me up on Twitter. It was about that game, the, <laughs> the rugby game, but it, it really cracked me up. It was like, the Italian government decrees all sports events in the country to be played behind closed doors until April 3rd due to coronavirus concerns. This will affect all Serie A matches and Italy versus England six stations on March 14th in Rome. A guy responded being, hi Ed, thanks for the update. Have you received direct confirmation from the England rugby team that the game scheduled for 14th of March in Rome will be played behind closed doors on that date? And the, the guy I responded with it's a decree from the Italian government which just <laughs> it just cracked me up as well because as if as if you'd need to wait for confirmation from the England like rugby team to uh, to be like oh yeah fine we'll do it when it's the Italian yeah, government seal of approval yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah I mean, I, I mean we're, we're laughing now but it's uh, it's obviously become like a serious worldwide matter at the moment I want to err towards Jurgen Klopp's interview where I don't want to speculate and, and say too much because I don't think I'm informed enough on it but I think that the, the main concern I've seen from traders is whether or not the Euros will go forward which I actually find slightly strange because FI have never paid out on the Euros ever in their history. So, and I think they're always over hyped these tournaments in, in terms of just how big an impact they have on FI. Like they do, but a lot of the biggest rises over those summers are often not those involved in the Euros, if that makes sense, or the tournaments. I think you're right. I think the biggest risk is to the Euros. So I'm inclined to agree in terms of I can't see massive falls in, in the footy because, like you say, it's, I think it's more of a shape of the footy as to whether, you know, if the Euros was to be cancelled, then it's just, you know, moving straight into media days and how that affects in terms of we go early on the on the summer transfers. I think the only total effect it might have is the opportunity that they have at the Euros in terms of attracting new customers and getting people more involved. So, and it'd be interesting to know what kind of, you know, marketing budget, et cetera, they've put behind Euro-related activity. So, you know, that's the way it could be big for them. If the Euros was cancelled and, you know, FI have already put a lot of time and effort into their plans and marketing plans and the rest of it for the Euros, it could limit growth as opposed to, um, you know, the whole footy being down. But, I think at this point, it's too early to know exactly what might happen there. The marketing opportunity that the Euros represents is probably the biggest impact by far. Yeah, I, I do think that. But I remember speaking to some of the Vi guys in their marketing team and be like, you must be licking your lips when there's absolutely no fixtures on because the arbitrage opportunity there in terms of kind of like having a big advantage over regular bookmakers is, well, you can either try and speculate on who's going to be really good in the next 6, 12, 24 months, or you can go bet on some Hungarian under-21 leagues that have just started. That's like, do you know what I mean? Like there's always... That's a really good point, actually. I'd never thought about that, but I've also never seen them advertise in that way. 
Is, is that anything they've done before? Or? Not exactly in the crass words that I've just <laughs> explained it. No, of course but not. They, they've done kind of like, I think one of the ones that converts quite well for them is the, I say it converts well for them because you see them do it so often, is the kind of graphs like, oh, if you if you put money into Virgil van Dyke like six months ago, this is how much it would be worth. And I think you can definitely, you know, there is marketing opportunities there where it's like, oh, traders are maneuvering through pre-season and and getting their portfolios ready for the new season here's what you would have made if you bought this player three months ago stuff like that i think there is a big arb opportunity there ahead and beyond bookmakers because there are no games on in a weird way i think it'd be interesting to really see them go after that in terms of talking up the benefit of the action and the activity of of the market is still there through summer where it's not in traditional bookies it'd be interesting to see if they could get you know, some people converted over who aren't putting a bet on to to get interested in the transfer media and all that sort of thing. Because, you know, there is still big interest in football over summer whilst the transfers are happening, but people just aren't betting on it. So I think it'd be interesting to see them go after that a little bit more directly. Yeah, definitely. And I think with that as well, like there's a side where I'll get ready for the new season, but also there's the whole side of, or well, maybe some people don't want to wait to the new season to do stuff. Why don't you start speculating on transfers? Start like, there's still money to be made here and now. And you can kind of have a dual marketing campaign there that actually FI represents the best of both worlds. Like you don't need to throw away money on transfer markets that don't have any stay at club option. Or odds that are just manipulated by Sky Sports News, for example. Exactly. And I mean, you, you can completely play that part. You can play actually pre-season matters and that you can get forward to the new, new season, see what the youngsters look like. I mean, there's so many facets to... FI that aren't advertised. And I mean, not all of them are going to be that great to advertise and new traders won't understand all of them. But there's also a lot there to say, you can trade for the future, you can trade for the immediate future, and you can trade for right now, rather than waiting for a bookie or your FPL team to kick off in August. I talk about it all the time with FPL, especially. I mean, I'm an avid FPL player and I've maintained, I've I've forgotten my team a few times this this year, but still have maintained a decent rank. But there are those people who will forget to do it one week and then never do it again with FI. Like if you don't look at your portfolio for a week, you might not have maximized your profits. You might have done really well, but it's still there. Do you know what I mean? Like short of all the players in your portfolio breaking both their legs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, good for you that you're still doing well. I'm a terrible <laughs> FBL at the moment. I'm rank a million or something silly. I don't think it's exceptional. I think I'm like 110 k or something like that at the moment. So not amazing, but not not terrible. Uh, yeah, a lot better than me. I, I, I tend to over-transfer. <laughs> Fair play. But um, just, just going back to the conversation at hand, I guess, because... FI Delboy has a question and let's be optimistic here. He says, for both guests, how do you see the Euros playing out? What strategies are you going for? You know, let's be positive and, and presume that the world comes together and we manage to contain this thing and it goes ahead. What are you guys looking forward to? For me, it's looking at teams that are going to qualify for the group. There's some some big teams that have very easy fixtures and I'm really hoping that they're going to do something like all group games are silver days, knockouts, gold days or gold and platinum or however, like just something to really pump up the excitement from there. So I'm looking for for things like that, for the strategies to go for it and then make sure they've got something afterwards, whether they've got a transfer speculation or they're just going to be great in the Prem or another league. So I don't want anyone who's going to like immediately drop if they go out or not drop as, as harshly. We will see how 
the market can overreact. But in terms of the Euros like playing out in terms of an FI side, I think that it's going to be a huge marketing push, as we've said. It's the only football that's on, so it's, surely it's going to be at the forefront of traders' minds. I do think we'll see some big rises for some shock results and goals as we do on match days at the moment. And hopefully it just makes match days as exciting as a, a Champions League night when it's a Champions League gold day. That's what I'm really looking forward to. So any new traders can really get that excitement out the Euros. And when you're sitting in the pub watching it with a, a load of your friends, you're talking about FI because of the excitement and you're you're looking at different players and wing backs flying forward and saying, oh, he's a great hold on FI. And you can use it kind of as a the social marketing through there to really grow the product. I think there's such an opportunity here for FI to have another rocket go straight up it. I just hope that it's made the most of. I think for me, they've really got to go after it a bit. If you know, if it's anything kind of less than gold days after quarterfinals or, or whatever it is, I think that'd be a little bit of a disappointment from an FI perspective. Um, you know, we see it for for Champions League. I think we should definitely see it for Euros. In terms of strategy, it's fairly similar. I think you know, I generally don't get involved in that in the short term windows. So I think there are always going to be a lot of you know fluctuations, especially on some of those players that you know for some of the the lesser teams are, are lower prices. I think for me, I'll be focusing on players which have something after. So, is it someone who can put in a good tournament and therefore on the back of that have transfer spec? So that's probably what I'll be looking at. Yeah, I think for me, I'll probably try and trade some of the kind of surprises during that tournament. But for me, I think the real money will be made in a those potential big transfers and B, who could be big in their respective teams next season. That's where I think I'll be parceling my money during the Euros. But leading up to it, I think it also depends who who finally qualifies. And also, presumably, FI might need to IPO a lot of players. So there's that interesting dynamic as well that I don't think a lot of people have talked about. Yeah. Every national team player, they're not on the index at the moment. So that's that's interesting. It'd be interesting to see what they do with that. I think, you know, as much as I feel like they, they should have every player, they don't have every player from every top five PV league at the moment. So, you know, ultimately for us to expect them to have every player from the Euros and, you know, it's not as bad as a World Cup because there's not as many players from outside of top European leagues from from smaller countries, you know, some of them semi-professional and whatnot. But we haven't quite got the same here, but I think it'd be interesting to see whether they do go after getting all those players out there and I think for me they should be looking to do that I know there's a bit of a concern in terms of the problems that they've had with IPOs but I don't think there's anyone really that isn't out that's going to the Euros that should create a big hype around them I think it will mostly be lower priced without a lot of interest IPOs I think a lot of that depends on whether Ireland are not qualifying or not if, I think if Ireland qualify there's going to be a lot of people that will want to get on any of the, the up, up and coming Irish players especially if there's a a local hero that's not on FI. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But I didn't. I only thought of that very, you know, on the spot just now. That maybe a lot of those players haven't been IPO'd yet. I've got another question here from FI Panther. He says, "Hi, chaps. What do you think is behind the footy being down the past week or so? Worst I can recall seeing it in the last three or four months. PB holds down. Capital appreciation on youth." First teamers, etc., all down. Fear of major leagues, tournaments being suspended, so people taking money out the platform? Question mark. What are your thoughts here? I think this is the first down week we've had in the whole year, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. There's a, a lot of context to be put behind it. I mean, for me as well, February is always the skintest month because everyone expects it to be January, and then 
you get that paycheck in and you spend it all in January. So February is always, always one where actually you're thinking to yourself, oh, actually, I need to stop being poor. So I think a lot of people will be pulling out a little bit of money during February, but also like the footy's gone up month on month on month ever since I've joined. It was, I think, 3.1% up in February as a whole. So there's a little bit of a zoom out needed there just to say, actually, it's not all bad. Yes, some PB holds, but like popular PB players have fallen, but you've seen a lot of that money's gone into Bruno with his meteoric rise and people are seeing value elsewhere. But I always like find this particularly like a bit of advice that I normally give to new users who reach out is like if you still believe in them, you can use that either as an opportunity to top up or just continue hold and ride through that wave. If you believe that there's still value, then they should rise eventually. It might need a performance to kind of give them that kick, but they will get that kick from there. But yeah, I, I do think a small dip in the, the footy is also quite healthy. I mean, if a market only ever went up, it would start resembling a bit of a pyramid scheme. Obviously, it's not. And it's good to know that the market is functioning correctly and it will kind of um, move up and down as people get overvalued and undervalued. But th- there's still a whole lot of fuel to the rocket, as um, EJ tweeted out. I just think, yeah, it might have been a strange week because we've seen massive rises in the likes of Bruno um, and recently Billy Gilmore. But it doesn't mean that like everything's doom and gloom. If you follow like market cap, that's still going up and up and up. And you see like there might be a few thousand pounds dropping out on a few days, particularly on a Sunday. But if you look week on week, almost every single week is up. And then I think, I mean, the other part of that was about MB wasn't it? And Man United bias, but that's not Football Index's fault, the Man United bias. This was the question from FI Frankie, wasn't it? Do you subscribe to the notion that the current meteoric rise in Bruno is good for the index as a whole? I've just experienced the strangest week in which I have won more PB dividends than ever before, yet my portfolio has also fallen more than it ever has before. I can't think of any reason beyond money being taken out to go into Bruno. Do you think it's a healthy situation for the index to be in? Or do you think that by kicking down the can down the road in regards to broken MB, and in particular the United bias, FI are in fact making a bigger rod for their own backs and when they do eventually remove it and up set thousands of traders by effectively changing their bets. I mean, I mean, we've seen for the last two or three days of MB that the Express will write about whoever and whatever. It's not just about United, isn't it? I think this is a really strange one because I think, so for me as a trader, I've never really focused on MB, not because I necessarily think football index have it significantly wrong, but just in terms of the way the media work. I've, I've never been tuned that way. But if you look at the way that the media work and I'm not a big, you know, the United bias. I think if you look at it from a FI perspective in terms of the word United, the people that have looked into that, I don't know if you know exactly who that is, but I don't think that's having a massive effect. I think what it actually is, is that the media are writing about the clubs that get the most clicks. I think it's as simple as that. You can map pretty closely in terms of the media points that each club has won compared to their Twitter their Twitter following per club. And you look at that, I looked at it the other day in terms of the relation to how many MB points Man United have got, how many MB points Liverpool have got in, the, in terms of those premiership clubs. And it actually maps out pretty well in terms of their Twitter following. So I think that's just naturally the state of how the media work. Ultimately, you can't expect Football Index to compensate for that. What we wouldn't want them to do is to try and you know, work out which they think is the biggest story because... You know, if it's called media buzz, then it's based on what the media are writing about. I think, to be honest, there's probably more made out of this than there actually is there. 
it's an interesting one. I, I don't think Bruno rising a meteoric amount is bad for the index at all. I think it's good. It shows the the potential people can make on the platform. I don't also subscribe to the notion that just because your players win PB dividends that they should go up in price. Those two things don't have to go hand in hand. You know, there are players that can win and will win dividends that will go down. It's just the way that players are valued on FI. And especially the older they are, because if we're not learning anything new about a player, then we shouldn't expect to rise. So I think that's probably one of the big misunderstandings or beliefs that people have that I don't think should be true from a market is that the reason that we often see big risers when the younger players score PB is because we've learned something new about them that we didn't know before. Perhaps that they've had a performance that we didn't know was in them or they've shown a threat of being able to have future wins. If Messi wins PB, we expect him to win PB. And so why are people buying when something happens that they already knew was going to happen? Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, it's expected dividends over the amount of chances they've got to win dividends. That's really like how the rational pricing should be worked out. Um, and if their expected dividends doesn't change because you know Messi is incredible, at the end of the day, it is just one less chance to win dividends. And I mean, you might say he might get a rise if Barcelona progressed in the Champions League because that's more chances to win dividends. So that's logical. But to say, oh, he's won dividends in, in Liga and his price is falling, or kind of you'd semi-expect that because there's no new information there to suggest that like he's going to have even more games to play or his dividend output is going to be be bigger. If he signs a 10-year contract and says he's going to play play forever, then maybe you might see his price rocket. But I mean, the likelihood of that happening is is quite low, as you'd imagine. While you've been talking, I've been just going on Media Buzz, basically, and I've just been looking at the, the articles that have been attributed. And it is your, your expresses, your daily stars, your daily mails and your metros that are most attributed because of the nature of their businesses. They are so click oriented, as I think you mentioned beforehand. It's just natural that a lot of the points that are currently being created. I think I saw a proper funny one for a 200 pointer for Billy Gilmore actually today, which which really made me crack up. I'll see if I can find it. Stats highlight two most impressive Chelsea aces in win over Liverpool and then dash not Billy Gilmore. <laughs> so he got 200 points for that, which I just found hilarious. But I mean, we're laughing about it. This is something that FI need to really rectify and create their own sentiment scoring matrix. But I do think some of the things that are mentioned, such as the United bias, are just probably overstated by a significant amount. And I think when we do see the change, which we probably will do, I think people are going to be surprised by just how often United are still talked about as a club. Yeah, and that's it. And I think in the example you mentioned, it's it's a strange one. You know, when you just read it in isolation, you're like, that's nothing to do with him. But when you think back and think about their business model, their reasoning that they're adding him into the title is because he's the most talked about thing. He's the most searched about thing at that moment. So if you actually think it through, yeah, the sentiment score in itself, you know, 200 points, it seems excessive for that. But the fact that he's got points for that article is only there because he's the thing that's been searched about, talked about and clicked about. So therefore, you know, if you're going to follow your media score in the way it is, he should still have points attributed to that because they're only including him in the title because he's been talked about. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I mean, we talk about like MB being kicked down the road and things like that, but this is another thing that harps back to kind of that previous question is this has to be gotten right. I mean, yes, it's taken quite a while for them to to address it but at the end of the season they are doing something they've sent out a survey 
that I'm sure we've all, all filled in. But this is something that when they, they do it, they have to get it right. And because this is under the biggest bugbear is that sentiment scoring. No control over what people write about, but you can control how that's attributed. And we need to make sure that that is correct, um, which I think takes a little bit of time uh, if they're building a whole new sentiment scoring from that and then deciding what publications are going to go out. I think there'll be a, a bit of modeling around there to see, okay, how will that impact the actual payouts kind of going forward? But yeah, I mean, it has been taking quite a while, but the most important thing right now is that they get that correct. Yeah, for sure. I think that's going to be the biggest thing on their agenda. What were some of the things that you guys wanted to see changed when you were answering that survey, if you did do it? So I actually listened to your a little fig cast extra with Panda. And I think I tweeted the day before about like them limiting certain publications or just having like the top five. And it's like good to hear like Panda having similar reviews on that. Of So you're not going to get the Express writing 15 articles and that overriding two from the BBC, for example. But if you limit it to say five examples and you have a better sentiment scoring um, thing from there, you'll still see kind of big scores, but you won't see just lots of clickbait coming through to really kind of drive scores up, which I mean, tends to be f- focused on one player, as you'd imagine. And they're just as a press engine, they're absolutely milking that player for clicks. But I think that's the, the biggest thing for me, as well as introducing a few worldwide publications. I think they're both fair. I think, to be honest, it's one of the things that I, even with myself, go back and forth on in terms of what's the best way to address it. And I think that's probably true with a lot of people that, you know, everyone's got a problem with it, but there's probably not a consensus in terms of how we fix it. I don't necessarily think you should be getting rid of those publications, but limiting the number of articles. Again, the number on how many, I'm not sure. Originally, I was kind of on the the side of it should be one article per player per paper. But I think actually that could be an issue in terms of having a clear winner in there. So I think you've probably got to allow a couple, but the amount that we see at the minute is, like you say, it just doesn't look great when you go onto an MB and you click on the top player and there's, you know, six articles in a row by the same outlet. I think that's not a great look. So yeah, I think limiting the number of articles and like you say having some some european ones in there as well although i can't actually see that having as much impact as people think it's going to have because ultimately if we've still got 20 outlets from the uk and we've got one or two from from each of the european countries i don't think it's going to have that much impact but it would be good to see them in there depends how many of them there are i guess as well yeah i'd love there to be like a dual media payout one for uk based and one worldwide based where they take a pool of I know the top 10 countries, two, two outlets for each of the most respected and they have like two bouts in there. But obviously that's a, a whole new dividend that will need to be looked at. I think as well at that point, it's, it's kind of acknowledging the distinct difference between the UK and the rest. And the problem is then if you're looking to expand into Europe, you start growing in Germany and in Germany, they see that there's one UK payment, one worldwide. It seems, you know, very UK biased. I do think I, I side with philosopher on that end where there's probably a lack of intuition if if they do go and do that. I guess you do need to double down in where you're strong and that is the UK, but you need to take a long-term approach at this and you want to make this iteration of MB as solid, as, as scalable as possible. I just think that when they do make this review, however big it should be, they should definitely say it will be changed in the future. And I know that kind of contradicts some of the stuff that we've said before about the kind of line in the sand, but I don't think they're going to make it perfect in this next iteration. There's too much to do. 
So, for example, some players are already being picked up name-wise more often and any tweaks that are made now, I just don't think they're going to be wholesale and I think there will be a bigger kind of change at some point in the future. That's it. As much as people want big change, small steps is definitely the way to go. Yeah, and I think when we are on the platform for a while, you can often get frustrated because you get tunnel vision and the iterations are so small that it's only when you look back on it for six, nine, 10, 12 months that you realize, oh, wow, this thing has changed a lot. You know, small things like the watch list function that have worked really, really well. I think that that's a really small step on a small iteration. But if you step back from FI for the last like four or five months and you note down every single thing that's been improved and changed, you probably have a, a different viewpoint on it. Well, anyway, before we move on, I just need to plug The Athletic. So today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic. They're a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage, and they feature football reporters on the ground with national writers you know and love, like David Ornstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee, Rafa, Honigstein, a lot of these guys that you will follow on Twitter and read their articles, etc. And you can basically join today, and for 50% off your annual subscription, you can go over to theathletic.co.uk forward slash fig. Yeah, you'd be helping me out if you sign up via that. And it's it's a decent deal. 50% off means that it's basically £2.49 a month. Yeah, if you go for their annual deal, it's yeah £2.49 a month. And I did last episode things that cost more than £2.49. And this one, a lamb's liver from Sainsbury's, it's £2.50 per kg. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? So uh, yeah, a month's worth of liver or the athletic and i've asked you boys to also chuck out something that's more expensive than two pound fifty go on give me something so today i spent 2.99 on a small tub of chewing gum from the news agents so oh. you know packet of post-it notes 2.99 which is outrageous madness that what you want to do is, is get organized and you have to pay big dollar for it <laughs> get, get the office to buy instead exactly I did subscribe through your link to The Athletic as well. Oh, wow. Thank you. I have to say their content is great. I don't know why I didn't do it sooner, but I guess I got the the great deal through through your link. So yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> You're now plugging my plug, which is getting yeah. a bit Inception, isn't it? I've been on for about six months now. And to be honest, it's, it's my go-to in terms of, you know, all sports news. I think they're, they're doing a really good job over there. Doesn't it make any other outlet look so awful though, when you see something reported? It genuinely does. It genuinely does, yeah, it genuinely does. I, I almost can't read any other outlet now because in terms of just trying to get to what you want to read, it really helps always in terms of transfer-wise as well because I think they tend to cut through a lot of the you know, the noise that happens. Mm. You know, it was mentioned about United were linked with 120 players <laughs> or something. It was over 100 players, wasn't it, in January. They've got some really good reporters on there just kind of cutting through the noise. Mm. They do some great Q&As with those uh, reporters. They're a lot more kind of interactive than than they would be for any other papers usually, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, I didn't pay either of them to plug it as hard as they did. So uh, no accusations, please. If you guys do want 50% off an annual subscription, it's theathletic.co.uk slash fig. And you get, yeah, £2.49 a month, their annual deal. Not too bad a deal at all. Uh, FI Jack, uh, for Lambings, are you still able to fix a trade with more and more people turning their attention and portfolios to the summer? Or are the exit windows now too short? I mean, yes, can still fix a trade, definitely. But you do have to keep an eye on kind of those key events for the Euros, make sure that they have value towards the end. I do tend to hold throughout kind of the whole range of fixtures just because I really like getting dividends. So definitely they need to have value at the end of it. So it tends to be good players for that kind of whole period there. 
But I mean, you've seen some of the massive rises. I mean, Billy Gilmore off last night, there's still value in trading for a fixture, even if it is an FA Cup fixture. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think with the spreads as well, have you noticed that? That playing it apart? A little bit, but I also like very rarely instant sell. Like I said, I try to buy players that do have value anyway. And I just try and catch like where their next rise is going to be as well as collecting the dividends through it. So instant sell isn't really something that I tend to need to use. So, I mean, I try not to focus on it too much, but I know it is off-putting when someone's got a 10, 20% spread on, like slapped on, um, because you'll miss quite a lot of the short-term traders that want to jump on through that. But that can also be quite a, a good thing because it means a lot of the money that goes in is a lot harder. So you're at less of a risk of a dramatic fall if they put in a poor performance in a run of seven easy games. Uh, we've got another question here for you, philosopher. Which philosopher's work is most useful for FI traders? And do you have any book recommendations? I think I'll probably stay away from the book recommendations, you know, not not having that much detailed knowledge in philosophy. But what I would say is some of the stuff that is kind of, you know, yeah, entry-level philosophy 101 is is all about logical fallacies. So that's just about the way people construct arguments and the way in which they're put together and the, the kind of pitfalls in key arguments. And, and just learning a bit about them, I think, has been so important in terms of cutting through the bullshit on Twitter. So I'll try and get a bit of a, a bit of a thread out for when this goes out in terms of a couple of the key logical fallacies. And there's a bit of overlap with that great thread that Sigmund did probably about six months ago now in terms of talking about what to watch out for from a psychological point of view in terms of those Twitter guys. But, but that's really helped me. Mm, awesome. Awesome. Uh, i got a question here from The Stamp Collector. How many traders do you think are in the cave and who are the true philosophers of the FI community? I think you're going to have to spell this out for me because I've got no idea what he's on about. I think he's probably talking about, about Plato's cave here in terms of that theory. I'm not too sure on the, on the reference in terms of who the true philosophers are, but... What is Plato's cave? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we really want to want to go into that too much, but I suppose that's kind of the theory that a lot of people assume the film The Matrix is based on in terms of the idea that effectively the reality that we see around us isn't the true reality of what there is. But I'm not quite sure on the FI reference there. <laughs> Who are the true philosophers of FI community? I mean, you kind of shouted out Sigmund there. Could be nearly one, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's it. I think for me, the, the true philosophers are the ones that are willing to, to debate the, the views. So I think anyone who's willing to engage in a conversation, reflect on their own views and, and, and push back a little bit. I think for me, that's one of the things and what I wanted to do in terms of when I came on Twitter. And one of the things that I think is important is people willing to push back against both pumpers, but and in terms of the general preconceived notions that people have. I think one of the things that I tweeted out early on was that how important I think it is for, you know, anti-pumpers and for people to be willing to not only talk up players, but talk down players as well and i know that's a bit of a touchy subject on my twitter in terms of people believing that you know you shouldn't talk down a player because you're gonna affect someone's hold and someone's money but for me i think that's one of the things that as a platform as a community can actually move us forward you're not saying these are the same things but you look at companies on the footsie that people are invested in you know no one complains if you know someone says they don't like coca-cola or being able to discuss the the pros and cons of certain holds i think is so important in terms of one helping new users not just be drawn in by the effects of people saying good things about them but two also you know engaging in a conversation and finding what those points at which players 
should, could, or you know, what's what's their potential and what's their flaw? Yeah, I think that's absolutely spot on there. Like you have to be like willing to debate about the positive or the negative around around a player or around a trading strategy or kind of around anything to do with the product. I think as new users look in, that's healthy because that's the easiest way to learn when you're having those conversations. But I do think obviously because there is money involved, that it can sometimes get a little bit spiteful is probably the wrong word, but I guess you you know what I mean with it, where people will will defend. And I mean, I've been guilty of it myself where I've been blind to the negatives just because I've got a lot of money in a player. And in, in the long run, that's not normally just ends up just costing you money rather than being honest and actually being like, oh, actually, that's a good point. That player has lost set pieces, for example, and that will harm their PB output. Um, maybe I should rethink what I'm doing with it because a lot of the time people, unless it's like an obvious pump, people engaging and showing the downsides to have a debate and to be helpful. And I think like we're very quick on social media because you can't judge someone's tone of voice. We're very quick to think, oh no, they're they're out to get me or they're being anti me and they're like properly trying to cost me money when actually it's a, a useful debate. Mm. And the, the other thing is, I guess, that it can be seen as off-putting for new users. So I suppose it could in some way harm the product in general if you talk down players. I do agree though that debating prices is healthy as long as it's quite like civil and I think for the most part some of the guys that you've mentioned there are civil in the way they do it and I don't think talking down players is any different to people just absurdly pumping players that have like little to no value like I I really think the the latter is far worse than the former actually. It's difficult at the minute isn't it it's because I think especially at the lower end the threat is the lack of money in the market means one or two people coming out that have big holdings can move the price quite significantly. I think that's the concern. But, you know, I think one, as we go forward, that becomes less of an issue. But I also don't think that should be a reason not to get involved in the conversation. I think ultimately we've got to find a real balance between talking up players, talking down players. And we have to get the idea that it's two separate conversations to talk about things within the market and the market controller itself. So we can talk about and say good things about FI as a platform, you know, what they're doing and how they're working on the market. But we can also talk about the market itself in terms of, you know, the subject within that market and, you know, whether that's good or bad. So, you know, I could talk badly about a player without saying anything negative about FI. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And the opposite, I can talk, you know, badly about FI without talking about the value of any individual players within there. Yeah, some wise, wise words there from the philosopher. It's left me thinking. I don't know if you guys have got any more comments on, on that before we move on to the next question. No, I think I, think I covered it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> if you've a uh, nice little cliffhanger there, philosopher. F.I. Lewin, with the top players racing towards £10, is there a danger that new or existing traders who wish to play with a modest budget are pushed out the top end? I mean, that's always going to be the case, isn't it? With the more expensive the top end, if you've got a small budget, you might not be able to afford that. But there's plenty of value all over. The index. I mean, there's people with small budgets. When I first joined, I started with a modest amount and was buying the top players and then obviously re-strategized as kind of where I saw value and how I thought I could make the most money. But at the end of the day, it is a market and because they're sort of such value, those players are gonna just gonna keep increases with the dividends on offer. I mean, the alternative is the top players don't rise and then you kind of get a, a stagnant market from there. And you wouldn't want to buy the top end because they're not, they're not going to rise. So 
if you're playing with a, a eight pound budget, for example, yes, you're not going to be able to afford the top 10 pounds, but you can still have plenty of value all over the index and plenty of fun like kind of playing with that. Is this preconceived notion that if you have a small or small medium portfolio that you can't buy the big players? I think, you know, if you're someone who has a portfolio of probably under 100 quid, that's when it becomes a question of, you know, if the players are near 10 quid and you can only hold 10 players, then it becomes a question, I suppose, of, you know, can you physically hold them? I think anything probably over that, I'm not sure I agree that you can't hold them. So, it depends what you consider a, a modest budget, I suppose. But, you know, I've always been quite a small portfolio person and there's certainly times that I've had the big players in there. So, you know, I'll hold probably a couple of the the big guys and then, you know, a balance throughout. So I think, you know, obviously that's why the share split happened last time. But ultimately, I don't see it as a big issue. It's not great feeling that you're holding one, two shares in a player, but I'm still not sure I see it as a big issue. It's where you see value, really, isn't it? Like, if you see value in holding of a £10 player, then you're going to buy them. If you think that there's more value in holding 50 of a £2 player, then you're going to buy that instead. But you're not kind of pushed out. It's just where you you see the value and where you see you're going to make the most for your money. You know, it's the percentage returns, really, that are relevant. So I think when you talk about the big portfolios, obviously they can't invest in the you know, the lower price players the same way because they genuinely affect the shape of the market and the price of the player. But in terms of small portfolios investing those high price players, if you see the, the returns there, just because the dividend return is small, you know, it's still the same percentage as owning more of a small player. I think people do get a bit caught up in the the absolute values when it's the percentage returns that, that are probably more relevant. Yeah, so true. I think people get obsessed with making a lot of money really quickly. And I think the sooner people understand that, the better it is, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's not traditional gambling. You're not going to overnight five times your money, but you will be successful in the long run. We've got a question here from Grubel, G-R-U-R-B, like, I don't know, Grubel F-I. I'm worried that the ever-present Promotions coupled with the new lack of IPOs and seemingly sluggish response to tech issues are ploys for FI to keep the bubble inflated. Can any of your guests put my mind at ease? Go on. What bubble? I think it's a big thing. Like there's the dividends on offer shows that there's great value kind of out where I don't think FI as a whole is a bubble. I think it's just getting started in terms of the lack of IPOs. I mean, I kind of feel like with with a comment like that is FI can't can't win either way. They either IPO and things go wrong, or they suspend it, like a lot of us were calling out for, and wait until they've got a system that can actually handle it. Which I think is the correct way. If they kept IPO in players every Friday and it kept breaking, we'd be in a hell of a lot worse situation than we are now. And I mean to go back to the promotions thing. I think we all cried out for a bit of a period of stability, and I think we got one given that the Super Match Day periods didn't really change the way we traded too much but i think with that off the back of it we then get people asking for matrix changes or other issues or clarities on plan so there's a little bit of like we need to actually let this stability go and see how our trading gets on and then kind of promotions it's still a gambling company at the end of the day like if you go on to any other betting website, there's promotions left, right and center. So if you compare it to that, the actual number of promotions are quite low. 
But yeah, I agree kind of with what Panda was saying about felt like was trading promotions rather than trading the market. Right now, I think like we are trading the market. We're looking forward to events. We're trading Champions League. We're trading Man United, Bruno Fernandes going up with youth rises. And I think that's healthier for the platform rather than holding cash balances for deposit bonuses or waiting for an, another gimmick to come out. And I actually think that's quite a healthy situation to be in. Yeah, I think, I think I'm fairly similar. I'm not too sure about the bubble point. So I think to say that FI at the moment as a whole is a bubble, I disagree with. I think there's probably bubbles in individual players across the market, but you'd hard to argue that that's driven by any particular promotion that they're doing. Because like you say, I don't think a lot of people went really went after the Super Match Day points. I actually put a little bit of my portfolio aside just to have a little play about with it. And there was more in it than people thought there was. You know, for me, it was kind of an addition onto IPDs because it fit the same window. And I think a lot of people probably didn't look at it that way in terms of actually, for me, what it was was a a bonus on top of playing for IPDs because a lot of people don't do that anymore. And it's not something that I've done before, but I think that's really what, what the Super Match Day points did. But I suppose back to the question... I think it was strange that they did the two promotions kind of back-to-back. But saying that, I think... I mean, it's really hard to please everyone, isn't it? I think just before we got the January transfer promotion, there were people talking about how they needed to do a deposit bonus or they needed to do this. And, you know, despite not not that long hadn't done something similar, there was talk about them needing to do something. IPOs is an interesting one. I think, for me, it's more important that they continue with IPOs and I know that they've had tech issues. There's no way that works for everyone. And they've been through a, you know, an iteration. Even since I joined the platform, they've been through three or four different ways of trying to do IPOs. For me, I think it's important that they keep getting players out there. And I'd probably, I know it's quite an unpopular one, but I'd probably revert back to just dropping players in there. Kind of not saying who, when, or how much. I'd just be wanting to to drop players in there. And I know that that people don't like that because they feel like they don't have a chance to get on or whatever, you know, to get on at the low price. But ultimately, when they've got a better method, I think they should introduce it. I thought it was really interesting when you did your the Megapod with Sigmund and Sam. When Sam was talking about how much he thinks there's a market for people coming from a football manager background, that's more me. So I've never really been big on traditional betting, but I was a big football manager player. And I think that's the side of FI that appeals to me. And I think there's an opportunity to go after them, but not if you aren't IPDOing players at the rate that they need to be. So for me, if as a temporary short-term solution, I'd just be dropping players in often because I think that they didn't have the same problems with the tech when that was happening because you weren't getting a surge all at once. It was kind of a few people noticed and a few more people noticed and that staggered approach allowed them to kind of work it a little bit better. But I do think they need improvements there, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think you've, you both have spoken far better than than I could in the next few minutes or so. But I mean, to the football manager point, I do think that it might be overstated slightly in how easy that kind of transfer from a video game to just like actually real world money is. I know you are investing your time and your energy into something like football manager, but I do think that people really underestimate the friction that just money causes in general and that's probably why we see so many arguments on fi twitter as i think we've discussed so far but it is really really interesting to to kind of think about how many people play fpl how many people play football manager and how 
few in comparison signups FI have. And obviously the timescales are massively different. You know, you've got football manager games from the 90s and so on and so forth that Sigmund and and Sam kind of uh, made fun of me for not knowing during that pod. And FPL has been going for over 10 years now, 10, 15 years. So a bit of friction there with the money side of things. But I do think that this notion of FI being a more responsible way to gamble, that they can be a pioneer in that kind of side of the gambling industry, can have less friction and also be slightly less taboo, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think as well on that point, I think uh, FIFA Ultimate Team has opened that up a little bit in terms of microtransactions. So I think that was a big shift in terms of people that you know were playing video games and now they're spending money and yes, I'd call that gambling in terms of 100%. the way you're... Yeah, well, wasn't there that article from France where they were going to consider having some sort of debate about whether or not it is gambling? I think there's a really big point there that whether we're really considering it that way or not, it's, it's definitely getting closer to that. You know, people are effectively putting money in for a random selection of things that they consider more or less valuable you know is that significantly different to putting money in a slot machine this was literally was it last thursday oh no last month so it's a lot of like european governments that are basically there's been loads of lawsuits essentially against ultimate team claiming that it's gambling and it's not too far off it's not too far off and especially it's a sticky situation isn't it there where most of the people playing FIFA are like under 25. So it kind of adds weight to my point where FI could be the frontier alongside things like FIFA Ultimate Team that make it less taboo to to kind of spend money on. on so, I mean, why is it any different to spending loads of money on Fortnite? I know it's not quite the same because there's that, that less casino element, but I've played that game like four or five times in my life. But if they had some function where you could like pay a certain amount of coins and then randomize like a, a weapon or whatever, then that would be the same, wouldn't it? And I'm sure there are going to be games that do that in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the bigger picture of things, there's going to be a point where, and I don't think it is yet, I think we've got plenty of growth left to go, but there is going to come a point, we're not going to know it straight away, where the market starts to flatten out. And when there's no longer the same levels of returns to be made, there's going to be some of those people who started with FI early on that choose to go and put their money elsewhere. You know, especially from a betting background, if if people start deciding there's more money to be made on Betfair or there's always the next big thing. So there is going to have to be a wave of people that, that come in and effectively replace those people. And they're going to be from a, a you know a wide array of different areas. The hope is obviously that some of them are going to be big picture investors. You know, there's going to be that side of it, but also as well, I think they still need to retain focus on getting in those fancy football people, things like that, that aren't necessarily coming on expecting to make a load of money, but are coming on expecting to enjoy the product and have that element of gambling to it. I think this conversation right here really just kind of shows how much growth and potential is still left in FI. Like there's so many different customer profiles and user groups that they're yet to properly go after. I mean, we've been looking at kind of a lot of the gambling aspects and they've gone after the the returns that are on offer compared to gambling. But like you say, the FPL side, the football manager side, the FIFA side, and then casuals kind of going from there, there's still so much untapped potential for FI in the UK alone, as well as international expansion that kind of really brushes aside that FI bubble type question. I agree like with what you said earlier about like some players will be bubbles, but that's a market, I guess. But no, definitely, I think there's so much that can be done and so much growth here that I think everything's kind of aligning quite well. The bubble conversation, I definitely think 
I agree with the notion that there is bubbles within players. FI as a whole, I don't think so. I guess that can be a subjective thing. For me, I don't see it that way. I mean, we could then go into philosophical debates around whether or not the whole economic system that we currently all reside under is a bubble, like, you know, printing money and so on and so forth, which then I think we'd be here for another hour and this would turn into another... Yeah, we we could talk about that between us for hours, I think. (laughs) But I think that's a good place to put a pin into it. I, I know there were loads more questions and I've had to delete a few as we went on because there was so much discussion, mainly on how much uh, a lamb's liver costs. But um, <laughs> where can people find out more about you, Philosopher? So on Twitter is where I am, at FI Philosopher. Oh, nice. And I think you've only got like 200 or so followers, so we need to pump that number up, don't we? So I'm just 10 towards 300. But, uh, oh, here we go. That's got to be the, the lowest guest on the platform, I imagine. No, I don't think so. I think when Taking Value came on, I don't know if you've listened to that podcast, but you definitely should. He's a really smart guy. And I think Footy Index LDN plugged his blog post today on Twitter. You should check that out as well. I, I have seen that. It's very, very good. So when he came on, he was very much like, oh yeah, like I've just set up this Twitter account. Here's my post. What do you think about it? I was like, fuck, this is crazy. And then <laughs> and then I was like, come on the pod. He was like, oh, give me six months. I'm, I'm doing some, I've got some stuff going on at work, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, he came on. I, I don't even know if he had a hundred followers at the time. So uh, no, definitely, definitely not. Definitely some, some great thoughts from you as well. And hopefully you see those numbers deservedly fly up. Lambings, what about you? Yep, Twitter uh, is the main place, FI Lambings. I'm also relatively active on Slack in the index game community. So you'll see me pipe up there. Quite often, I'm quite quite like reacting to different people's comments with an emoji or two. So, yeah, if you see that, I'm normally lurking in the background and I'll, I'll chip in with a bit of nonsense and then leave it for a bit. <laughs> the way to do it on Slack, it moves so quickly, doesn't it? That That's often the best way to do it. But sorry if we didn't get to answer all your questions. As I mentioned previously, if you guys are commuting right now, have a great commute. If you're not commuting, shout out to the non-commute crew doing whatever you're doing. Football Index is a gambling platform. Only bet what you could afford to lose and stop when the fun stops. Thank you very much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.